Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm super excited that you're here. Every week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. First, I want to say welcome to November. We made it through October. We survived Halloween, which I must tell you is my least favorite holiday of the entire year. Um, I hate the grabbing of candy, the stuff in your face. Oh, I just, it's not my favorite. But we're done with it, and we're moving on. And then we moved to Thanksgiving, which is my favorite holiday, and then Christmas, which is my just like very tied close with Thanksgiving. Speaking of Christmas, I want to thank one of our sponsors today, and that is Sacred Holidays. This Advent, which Advent, if you don't know, are the days leading up to Christmas. That's what we call Advent. And this Advent, Sacred Holidays, has released a new study for you to go through, and it is called He Is the Attributes of God. There's one for women. There's also one for families. There's one for men and one for teen girls as well. Every day will be a different attribute of God, but each study will focus on the same attribute each day, but have unique content allowing families, churches, and communities to do the study together. So you can have one for yourself and one for your husband, and it's different content, but the same attribute. I was super honored to be a contributor to this study for the women, and I have seen the list of the other contributors, and you are going to love everything they're going to say to point you straight to God in this Advent season, which is what we need, right? Right now, they're going to give 10% of their profits back to providing Advent studies for women in prison. You know, this is near and dear to my heart. In fact, the jail that I attend every Tuesday, the women in my program are going to get these journals because of you. Um, You can order the study at sacredholidays.com and use the promotion code HAPPYHOUR to get 10% off your order. And if you didn't remember that, don't worry. It's on my webpage, jamieivy.com. I'd love for you to follow them on Instagram as well. It's at sacredholidays, and you can see what they're doing. Guys, today, you're listening to episode number 113 with Sarah Rodriguez. And Sarah and I recorded this a while ago, and I'm finally getting it in. And let me tell you, this was an example of where I just got a random book in the mail from someone and I couldn't stop reading it. Um, Sarah has a story where she's been in, through more heartache in such a short period of her life than a lot of us will have our entire lives. She's experienced infertility, her husband's cancer diagnosis, um, her husband's death, miscarriages, her baby girl fighting for her life. Literally, she has been through so much, and she comes on this other side, still clinging strong to her faith and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So I loved our conversation. Get your tissues out because you're going to need them. But Sarah and I had such a great time talking, um, and she has a book out called From Deaths We Rise, and I'll have a link to it over my webpage. If you want to send us a message about anything we chatted about, we'd love to hear from you. You know I love Instagram, and I'm Jamie Ivy over there, but if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at Jamie underscore Ivy, and Sarah, my guest today, is at Journey of Sarah. 
Okay, guys, one more favor before we get going. I would love it if you subscribe to the show. Even if you listen every single week, it really helps if you head on over to iTunes and just hit that little purple subscribe button. Um, and then you get the show in your inbox every single week. Just go to jamieivy.com slash iTunes. All right, friends, here is my conversation with Sarah. Hello. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> where are your babies right now? They are at home with a sitter. And you are where? I am at my parents because it's quiet here. <laughs> Girl, I hear you with that. You got to get away. I know. I thought, well, I could go in my closet or mm-hmm. I could go somewhere else. <laughs> well, I have big kids and there's always a chance they're going to interrupt in the summer. So oh, I yeah. get it. I get yeah. it. Oh. <laughs> Well, I am so happy to be chatting with you. I just will let you know, I was up till 1 a.m. reading your book last night. Oh, my goodness. Um, My husband was at an event, and then he had something really late, and so he wasn't home. And I have a hard time sleeping before he gets home, so I just was like, I had already started it. Just like, I mean, I had skimmed it, like, you know, preparing for an interview, skim it. And then I was like, I'm going to dive in. And I didn't skim. I read. Um, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read a lot, and... I'm so thrilled and honored to have you come on the show and chat about your story. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. So it's a big part of my my routine. (laughs) I'm so glad. I love hearing people listen. I mean, I hope people listen. So thank you for listening to the show. Yes. Okay, so you're in Oklahoma. Yes, I am in Norman, Oklahoma. Norman, is, is that the University of Oklahoma? Yes, Jamie, it is. Are you a Sooner? I am a Sooner, and I know you're a Longhorn, but I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping we can still be friends. We can put it all that. aside. <laughs> yeah. I, did you go to Oklahoma Univer- University? I did not. Okay. I went to Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I kind of wanted to get away, get away and experience life outside of Norman a little yeah. bit. So, well, I didn't go to the University of Texas, but I we live here, so we're Longhorn fans. But I always feel like everyone's like, "Did you go there?" I'm like, "No, I didn't," but. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what Bible college did you go to? I went to Victory Bible College. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's right across the street from ORU. Was that Oral Roberts? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Where the big praying hands are. I don't know if you've been there or not, but that's how most people I haven't been know there, but is. I've heard of Oral Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went to Bible college and then what'd you do? Because I know you ended up in New York City and we just jumped in, but I want to just hear how you got to New York. Yeah. After Bible college, I did an internship working with inner city kids in a ministry in Brooklyn, New York. And I absolutely loved it. I was there for about four months. And then I came back home to Oklahoma and I quickly realized that New York was where I wanted to be. And so my dad's but basically both of my parents were like, well, you can't move to New York unless you get a job first. Right. And I thought, how am I going to do that? And so I found this job. I think it was on monster.com. I don't even know if that site is still <laughs> is still up or not, but I found a job as a receptionist and I called the woman and practically begged her <laughs> to give me a job. You're like, I have to get to New York City. <laughs> you don't understand. And so that was on a Friday and she said, okay, you've got the job. Can you be here and start on my And I was like, absolutely. Oh (laughs) my gosh, you were determined. Yes. And my parents were like, what? I think they didn't think that I'd be able to to execute the plan. Right. I did. And so I hopped on a plane with two bags and went for it. 
That's amazing. Um, okay, so you landed in New York City, and I think this is where you met your husband. Is that what I read? Yes. My mom, before I left, this is how the book starts. She said, you can go to New York, but please just don't meet any boys. <laughs> she <laughs> she didn't want to- you to stay in New York is what exactly. she didn't want. Exactly. And so I said, it is so hard to meet a boy in New York. That is not even on my radar. Right. And of course, I met my husband, Joel, the first month I was there. <laughs> so I didn't follow my mom's advice, but but it, it was it all worked out in the end. Yeah, it did. So you have your first book out. It's called um, From Depths We Rise. Yes. Um, it's a journey of beauty from ashes. And like I told you, I got um, sucked into it last night. Mm-hmm. And your story is a very hard story. And I would say, and you, you tell me if you agree with me, probably one of maybe women's worst fears. You've walked through several of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as I was reading that, I kind of, whenever I read um, people's stories, memoirs are my favorite kind of books to read. So you're reading someone's story um, and you want, although you may not identify with what the author's gone through, you identify with some of their emotions or you identify with um, things they learned from their experience. And that's what I was feeling last time I was reading your book. Um, but you, your story is um, one of hardship. You met your husband. Um, and then eventually we'll jump right to the end of what happened. Then I want to talk about what happened was that your husband passed away Mm -hmm. from complications, from cancer and a stroke. And so worst fear, would it, would you have said this was one of your worst fears? Absolutely. And it's something that you think will never happen to you Mm -hmm. ever. And so I, I feel like it's been three years. He's it's three years since he passed away and I'm still trying to process and process it in many ways. Sometimes it still doesn't feel real. Doesn't feel like it really happened, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so your husband, Joel, you, um, which, where does that name come from? It is basically Joel, but it's a Spanish way of pronouncing it. Is he it was, was Puerto Rican, he, right? Yeah, he's Puerto Rican. He grew up in Spanish Harlem, New York. So he's a New Yorker through and through. <laughs> you met yourself a New Yorker man. Yes, I did. Just like your mama warned you about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, so your husband, um, walk us through just that first, I mean, you, you do it so beautifully in your book. And I want to talk about that with you about finding out sitting in the doctor's office and finding out, um, that the worst fear has come true. The things you've Googled, everyone says, don't go to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, the things you Googled, your husband, um, found blood in his urine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're sitting in the doctor's office and they confirm a worse fear. Tell me about, take me back to that. How I don't know how many years ago that was. That was in 2010. Okay, six and, years ago. Mm-hmm. And actually before his cancer diagnosis, the worst thing we had experienced to date was infertility. We had been trying mm-hmm. for years and years to get pregnant and weren't able to. So it got to the point where we were told that IVF was our only option. So we were about to start IVF. But before, but before we did that, we wanted to do some bucket list things. So we trained for and ran a marathon or a half marathon. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, we did that. And then we were about to go on a trip to celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary. And just one day I'm sitting there and he comes in and he says, babe, there's, there's blood in my urine. And so I immediately was like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. Just go to the doctor. And so they thought it was kidney stones. They gave him different medications. And this was a couple week process where they just couldn't get it under control. And then he, one day he came in and he was as white as a sheet. And he said, I just passed a really large blood clot. Um, so that was a really scary moment. And mm-hmm. he went back to the doctor 
and they took a CT scan and they called us back for results the next day. And I, I was still thinking, you know, it's got to be kidney stones. You know, I would have never in a million years thought cancer. So you didn't go there. I went with him. Yeah. I, went no, I mean, with- your, your mind didn't go to cancer. Oh, no, no. I mean, the crazy thing is, is my husband lost both of his parents to cancer. Mm. Um, and so that was, I mean, it wasn't something that we had never experienced in our world. And I think he was probably a lot more sensitive to it than I was. But I, no, I never would have dreamt mm. that it would have been that. That's where I feel like, you know, you always try to like, I'm sure as listeners are listening, as I'm reading your book last night, as I'm listening to you, I, you put yourself in the shoes and think, what would I do? You know, and I know myself and Sarah, I would tend to be like, oh, can't like I would immediately like plan his funeral like if mm-hmm. that happened to Aaron. And I don't know where that comes from and why some people are like that and why some people are not. Um, and I don't know what I would do in that moment. So, you know, it's it's I love to hear how you were like, no, I just thought that this is surely like kidney stones. This can't be cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got the diagnosis. And then what? Well, we got the diagnosis and they said that. Um, it was a seven pound tumor in his abdomen, which is crazy to me to think about. I would tell him it was like you were pregnant with a baby. And exactly. we didn't even know <laughs> You know, you just ran all pregnant women are like, what? How did you have a seven pound tumor? Which I mean, yes. that is huge, Sarah. Yes. And it's shocking to me that he had no other symptoms. So there was no pain. No, nothing, nothing. And they said that it had probably been growing for years. And it was surrounding one of his kidneys. Is that it, right? it had completely eaten one of his kidneys. Mm. So his body had naturally just shut off that That kidney kidney, and started working on one. So the very first thing was we had to go into surgery and remove it. And so we did that. And then afterwards they sent us down um, to the hospital in Houston, um, the cancer hospital down there, and they recommended a year of chemo. And so that was immediately following. We did every six weeks, we would fly down to Houston, do scans, get orders, then come back to Oklahoma City and do his chemo treatment for okay. a whole year. And for that year, was he working? Was he able to function? What does a year of chemo look like on someone? The first time he did chemo, he did not work. Okay. Um, we didn't really know what to expect. And in fact, the first few chemo infusions, he had to do inpatient, um, week-long inpatient infusions. And so he wasn't working. And eventually, um, when he applied for long-term disability, the company terminated his job. So everything was on me at that point. I was mm. the one working for a year, and I was the one with the insurance for both mm-hmm. of us. So it was a lot of weight on my shoulders. And I was only 28 years old at that time, and it was, it was really heavy. I'm sure. And so at this point, what's going on with IVF? IVF was totally in the background. The only thing we made the choice to do, and in hindsight, this was a choice that changed the trajectory of my life forever, Mm -hmm. is we made a choice to freeze his sperm before we started chemo. Because a lot of people don't know that chemo can render a man sterile. And it's just by the grace of God that we found that out before. So the whole week before he started chemo, we we collected and froze some sperm. And that's what we would use in our future family planning. Wow. Yeah. But everything else went on the back burner. We didn't do anything else. We just kind of had that in storage mm-hmm. as an insurance policy. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case it did affect his. Um, mm-hmm. sp- okay, I got it. All right. So yeah. y'all are kind of put that on the back burner. Mm-hmm. You're working. Mm-hmm. Um, 
carrying the weight of that, which I'm sure was just stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I worked in the oil and gas industry at the time, and it's a really volatile industry, lots of ups and downs mm-hmm. and layoffs are common. So every single day I was just praying, God, please don't let me lose my job because yeah. I have to have this insurance mm-hmm. for my husband. So. so a week of chemo and then what happens? A week. I on. mean, a year, a year of chemo. Sorry, a year of oh, chemo, okay. and then what happens? And then he got the all clear, um, and so we were so excited, and we were like, "Okay, this is behind us. We're going to move forward. We're going to have start our family." And since we had frozen the sperm, we were able to do that immediately. Typically, they recommend taking a year off from anything fertility because of how the chemo will affect mm-hmm. things. But since we had the the pre-chemo sperm, we were able to jump right in and we did. And um, our first round, we got four embryos and we implanted two. And I got pregnant the very first time Mm. with twins. And uh, I lost one of those twins at the end of my first trimester, but I was able to carry the other baby to term. Okay. And that's your son? Yes. My son, Milo. He just turned four. Milo. Milo. Love him. He is a cutie. So you get pregnant and in all that you're thinking, you and your husband, Joel, you're thinking this whole cancer journey is behind us. Mm-hmm. We're pregnant. Finally, it's like a new chapter. Yeah. And we had, you know, spent so many years trying to get pregnant and that was a hit. And then came the cancer, which was another hit. And so then when we finally got pregnant and with twins, much less, right. we were just like, this is our moment of redemption and rejoicing. And like, everything is going to be better from here. That mm. that was what we thought. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, did you feel almost as though, I'm not, I don't know if you felt this. I wonder if people think this sometimes when you feel like the worst is behind us. Did you ever think like, surely that we've done, we've paid our dues. Like, yeah, like this, this, nothing else can happen. Like we've had enough God. Yeah. I think that especially even in the Christian culture, I don't know what it is about us feeling like suffering should not be something that, that we ever have to endure. But, and then we definitely think we've met our quota. And mm-hmm. God's not going to give us any more suffering. We, we've done enough. Yeah. But, but we had no idea what was still to come. Mm. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. 
Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. So you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Have baby Milo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm sure was just one of the most like joyous occasions with you and your husband ever. Like something yeah. you've been yearning for for so long. Yes. Um, but it quickly, it quickly kind of took a different turn. What happened right after Milo was born? Well, a couple weeks before he was born, Joel went in for scans and they saw what they called an area of concern on his lung. And they told us that we needed to wait a couple weeks until it got bigger and they wanted to biopsy it just to see what it was. And at that point in time, I was pretty sure that we were talking about cancer Mm. again, um, which was devastating because I was only... Uh, four days away from having Milo when he got the biopsy. And then we got the news three days after Milo's birth that the cancer had come back in mm. his lung. Mm. Did I read that you had the option to get the news um, on a Friday and y'all just waited till Monday? Yes, that that makes me almost cry when I think about it because they had told us we could call on Friday and Friday was the day after I had Milo. And I remember this, like it was yesterday being in the hospital and telling Joel, babe, you know, I bet your results are ready. And he said, can we just hold off? Can we just wait until Monday? And I said, yeah, because none of us wanted to, mm. to face what was coming. We knew what was coming, but we just wanted to enjoy that moment of being new parents like yeah. anybody would. Did you did you get to enjoy that weekend or was that in the was was that thought of Monday's coming was it heavy on your heart or did you truly wait till Monday to face it No it was always the elephant in the room mm-hmm. and and I think I thought about it even more because here I am a mom and I just thought god 
my my boy cannot lose his father. Just please, he cannot lose his father. And I think that was the prayer that I prayed over and over that weekend is just please, please. So you call on Monday mm-hmm. and you get the news over the phone? Yeah. The doctor gave him the news over the phone and I was sitting in the room just listening and Joel just looked up at me and nodded his head. And, Which said it's cancer. Mm-hmm, it's cancer. It's back. It's in his lung. We need to have surgery tomorrow to put your port back in, and we start chemo. You have a, now we're looking at probably a five-day-old baby, mm-hmm. and your husband goes in for surgery. Mm-hmm. Sarah. It was hard. I mean, he couldn't even hold Milo because they they had the surgery for the port, and so he had stitches. And, I mean, I just was weeping for him because I could not imagine having a newborn and being told you can't hold your baby. It was just horrible. Mm, mm. Okay, so he gets us poured in, and so this means we're starting chemo all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that chemo look this time? Um, this time we didn't go back and forth between Houston. They were able to send the orders to Oklahoma city, which was a huge blessing. Um, so he did his treatments in Oklahoma city and it was hard because I felt really torn because the first time we watched through cancer, I was at every chemo appointment. I was at every doctor appointment. I didn't miss anything, but now I had a newborn son and I felt so torn between being there with Joel or being there with Milo and Joel took that load off me. He would say, babe, you need to be there for Milo. I've done this before. I can do it again. And I would just cry because I just felt the tension and Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't being everything for either of them. But that was the decision that we, we had to make. We felt like we had to make was I would take care of uh, Milo and Joelle would do chemo. Mm. And how long did that go on for? It was another nine months of chemo. And he worked this time. Oh. And, and he kept it a secret. Not very many people knew because he was scared that he would lose his job. So, I mean, I just look back. I'm like, I don't know how he did it. I wow. Mean, he kept working. And he then he would leave and go to chemo and then come back to work the next day. So, What was your support system like for you guys during that time? Well, you know, my family is here in Oklahoma. His is in New York, so they were supporting from afar. But Mm -hmm. we had my family and our church community, and all of our friends had been through it once with us before. So, you know, everybody kind of manned their their stations Mm -hmm. and knew what to do. Mm. Okay, so nine months of chemo. um, And then does he go in for surgery? What happens next? Well, nine months of chemo, and then he went in for a doctor's visit and they said, well, we think it's all gone. We don't see a lot on the scan. So let's go ahead and have you guys take a break. And so we took a break. We went on a trip to Breckenridge and um, with our little family. And we're just kind of hoping that, that again, mm-hmm. <laughs> praying for the best that it was gone. And we went back for more scans. I think it had been four to six weeks, somewhere in there. And they told us, they said, it's not only back, but it's grown completely to the size that it was pre-chemo. So basically nine So the chemo had done nothing. Nothing. It completely reversed itself back. It was a really, really aggressive cancer. And that's just because of the nature of it. There's nothing they could have done. No, there's nothing. It's he had something called Ewing sarcoma and sarcoma cancers are known to be some of the the worst Mm. that you get. So you get this news. Was that, would you say that was the biggest blow of the whole, of all these years? 
Oh yeah. I mean, he, that was really the first time that I saw him get really, really down because mm-hmm. he's like, man, I dedicated nine months of my life to this. And it's just nothing. It, you start to feel like it's, it's starting to get out of control a little bit because yeah. you're doing everything you can in your own might. You're praying it and it's like nothing is working. Mm. So I think that the fear level in both of us kind of started to escalate by that point. So what would you, what would you guys do? I mean, were these conversations that you're having? I'm just imagining inside your home at night. Are you having conversations about what if this goes the way that we both don't want it to go? Do y'all have those conversations in the midst of all this journey? You know, that's something we never talked about. We never said, what if, because we were just both trying to stay so positive. And mm-hmm. he was actually more positive than me. I would say that I'm scared. And he would say, I'm going to beat this. Don't worry. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to come through. I'm, I'm going to be here. And so we would never let our minds go there. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a rabbit hole if you do like, you know, if he doesn't, well, then what? Well, then what? Well, then what? Well, mm-hmm. we're not to that point yet. We're yeah. not yet. So let's yeah. stay and let's stay positive and focused. And you have to stay focused because it's the battle for your life. Mm. Are you grateful that y'all never went there? I am. I mean, in some ways, you know, I've met other widows who've had an extended time where they knew they were saying goodbye. And so they were able to have some conversations about, you know, their the future. Mm-hmm. And we never had a lot of those. And in a way, I wish that I had prepared my heart a little bit more, but then in a way I don't because I lived every moment mm-hmm. in the moment fully yeah. and presently. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you'll tell the rest of the story in a minute, but you guys never had, a, you never knew this is my last time. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Just the way that his medical situation worked out. So then what happens next after this is going on? So we make the decision to go ahead and have surgery. And by this point, you know, we had done chemo. We were also trying to do anything holistically, natural medicine. I mean, we were throwing everything we could at this mm-hmm. thing and nothing was happening. So we made the decision to have the surgery um, to remove half of one of his lungs to remove the cancer. And he did. And he got through surgery successfully. And so ne- can I ask you a question about that surgery? Yeah. Was that surgery to once they removed that portion of the lung was the intent that then you could go on living like that? I think it depended on the pathology and how it came back. If he had clear margins, if it had spread to his lymph nodes, like that's all kind of up in the air once they get in there and get those tests back. Okay. So he has the surgery. Yeah, he has the surgery. And then the next morning I'm in his room and a nurse is just doing some vitals checks on him and she squeezes his left hand and she's saying, you know, can you, can you squeeze my hand? Can you squeeze my hand? And, and he wasn't squeezing her hand. And so after a little bit, she calls the doctor and the doctors come running in the room and they're screaming his name and trying to get him to respond. And and Joel's not. Had he been previously responding while you were in there? No, he had been on a ventilator from the surgery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was holding his hand, but I was on his other side. I was on his right side and he had been responsive to holding my hand, but he was Mm -hmm. sedated. Okay. You know, so I really wasn't aware that anything was wrong until these doctors come flooding in the room. And then they turn to me and they're like, we think your husband has had a massive stroke. We're not sure if he's going to make it. And my head is spinning because I'm like, we were talking about cancer yesterday and we're talking about a stroke. And I thought older people, you know, had strokes. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was there by myself. Nobody was there with me. And it was, I mean, it sounds uh, like a scene from a movie. 
I know. In many ways, people tell me all the time, your life um, would make a really good movie. But I mean, the doctor's running in and screaming. Yeah. I mean, that's like what you see in a movie. And you were living it. You were in the moment right then. So they have you leave. They think we're, your husband, we think, has had a massive stroke, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure your head was spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do they take him off for a scan? Yeah, they took him off for a CT scan, and then they came back and said, he's had an ischemic stroke, which is the worst of the worst. And in order to save his life, we have to take him into surgery right now and saw off half of his skull to allow his brain to swell. If you don't do the surgery, he will die. Do you consent? And I'm just literally how it happened. They're saying this to you. Yes. And I'm like shaking, and they're pushing forms under my, my nose, and I'm just like crying and shaking and signing and like have you called your parents yeah I did call my parents and they got there um they were there by that point yeah the doctor said you need to call somebody to come be with you and you know that it's bad at that point. right right so you have to sign consent basically saying yes of course like because the Mm -hmm. other option is he will die Mm -hmm. um and so they go in um literally take off part of his skull Mm -hmm. so that his brain so that it could swell is that what they were saying yeah, because the stroke was going to cause Swelling. the brain to swell anyway. So they wanted to give it room so it could swell and expand. So he has this surgery um, and very unexpected, obviously. He had just come out of surgery for cancer. Um, what was that recovery like? So they said that the first 24 hours would be really touch and go to see if he even lived. And he did live. And a few days later, he came off the vent. He was paralyzed completely on his left side. So we eventually had to leave ICU and go to rehab. But at that point, we were just so happy that he was alive. Mm -hmm. He was off the vent. I was able to have conversations with him and his memory was still totally sharp. In fact, we joke because one of the first things he, he said to me was, where's my iPad? And I'm like, honey, <laughs> what about I love you? And right. Anything. Really moment. But he's like, where's my iPad? Like, I'm like, so, okay, he's back. <laughs> so I do have a question though. Like he goes in from, for surgery to remove a portion of his lung and he wakes up and he's had a massive stroke and he's paralyzed on his left side. Does he have memory of in between those times? You know, what's crazy is I had told the nurses, I said, I don't want anyone talking when he is sedated about his skull being gone because I want to be the one to tell him what's occurred when he wakes up. And so that was kind of the agreement that no one would talk about it in front of him, but it ended up happening. And so when he came out of it, I said, babe, I need to talk to you about something. And he goes, I already know what happens. What happened when I was sedated, I heard them talking about my stroke and my skull. So he had heard everything. Oh my gosh. And he knew and he knew. So that's why when I hear people talking about sedation and when when they think people don't hear, sometimes they hear a lot more than than you think they do because he had heard and knew everything. I've heard people say that before um, before you have heard people say that as well. So he knew, woke up. What was his um, kind of like spirit like after that? The most amazing thing about my husband, and this is why he inspires me to this day, is he did not once complain. You know, I think of myself and what I would have been doing at that point, and I would have been like, all right, Lord, mm-hmm. first I'm going through cancer. Right. And now I've, I've been paralyzed from a stroke. Like, where are you? What mm-hmm. are you doing? Why aren't you with me? But he never, ever said anything like that. He was just positive. And most people that would come to visit him, I mean, he was keeping our spirits up, mm-hmm. which is absolutely incredible. What was the prognosis then? What, was the, what were they telling you was going to be his life? 
you know, they had said that it could go either way, you know, that we wouldn't really know until he got back to rehab um, how much of his of his body he would regain use of. Mm. And then the cancer, that was just put on the back burner because we couldn't even focus on that right now. Right now we're having to focus on the stroke and the debilitating effects that occurred from that. It's so crazy because earlier in your story, your struggle is IVF and then cancer. And then you're like, well, we can't focus on the IVF because we got to focus on the cancer. Mm -hmm. And now you're just like, well, we can't focus on this because we have to focus on the stroke. It just feels like you were constantly having to kind of even move in your heart and your brain, even of what are we focusing on in this moment? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we going to tackle now? Yeah. Um, And a lot of that, I was just in shock and trauma. And when your body goes into that mode, you just kind of operate on almost like robotically. And that's what I was just doing. Crazy. Like, like this is what we're doing. Okay. On to the next. How old was Milo? Milo was 11 months old. Okay. So you've, this is like a year in. That's right. So Milo's 11 months old, which is such a fun age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was, um, your husband and Milo, what was their relationship? What did that look like with him in rehab and having surgeries? And how did Milo react to seeing his dad in the hospital? It was really hard because he would, we didn't let him go and see Joel a whole lot because I didn't want him emotionally to, to really have to deal with that. So it was very limited how much we would bring him up there. But, you know, he would get on the bed and want a rough house with daddy because that's how mm-hmm. they used to be. And, and now there's cords and wires and, you know, part of his body he can't even use. And so it was really hard and really confusing for Milo as to why, why daddy wasn't able to do what he used to do. And that's hard. I I mean, that's hard to explain to a five-year-old, much mm-hmm. less an 11-month-old, you yeah. know. So I'm sure you already felt as though you were um, parenting mom and dad and still trying to, like, let Milo be around his dad as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how, you're in rehab. Joel's mm-hmm. in rehab. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the second time, right? Well, this is the first time he's in rehab. Okay, first he time he's there for two weeks. Rehab. Okay. Yeah. Going through that, and I was looking at the pictures in your book, which I love books that have pictures. Like, whenever I read people's stories, I always think, can you please put some pictures in this book? And you did. And so I'm so happy <laughs> because I love seeing the pictures. But I'm the same way, and I was really <laughs> adamant. We have to have pictures in this book, guys. <laughs> because it helps you see, like, oh, here's what Sarah looks like, and here's what my, you know, here's yeah. Joe, here's when they were in therapy. Um, it's so good. I love that so much. Okay, so there's pictures of you in here, basically just working with him in therapy. I mean, how was y'all's relationship like? What does that look like um, for a husband and wife, for the wife to be taking care of the husband who can't really basically do hardly anything for himself? What did that, what did your relationship look like? You know, it wasn't typical. You know, I had been his caretaker for years. So being the caretaker role wasn't something that was new to me. But to this degree, pushing him around in a wheelchair, I mean, this was totally out of the norm. But Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of typical husband-wife conversations when he was in rehab because, again, I was still having to work. So I was working throughout the day. And then I would go visit him for a few hours in the evening and then try to get home in enough time to tuck Milo into bed and spend a little time with him. So by the time I got to Joel, he had had a full day of therapy and he Mm. was really tired and worn out. So, you know, our conversations were very brief and um, not too deep during that time. Yeah. I mean, I 
I can't even imagine everything that you were having, even when you just described it then about working all day, then going to see him and then being with your baby. Um, did you ever feel like, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Yeah, it definitely felt like we were getting to some kind of critical point where I did not know how much longer I could run on adrenaline the way I had been. How'd you, I mean, sometimes when I feel things and I say them out loud to God, I then feel like, Ooh, I shouldn't feel that way. Did you, did you struggle with, I don't know really how to feel in this situation? You know, through all that I had been through, I got to the point where I was really raw with God. And I was able to say, you know, I'm going to say out loud what I'm thinking because he knows it. Mm -hmm. And so why hide it, you know? So I would have really, you know, raw conversations. We had to have Milo's first birthday at the rehab center. And I smiled that day, you know, with Joelle and with Milo. And then I got home and I was mad and Mm. sobbing and angry. And so I really went there with him. And I think that's okay to do that. I don't think he's afraid of our emotions. No, I think you're right. And I think that, I mean, you could, you, you can answer this for me. I feel like sometimes when we walk through things like this, um, looking back, I'm sure now you're looking back three years, you see how God was still faithful in the midst of those emotions that you had. Yes. I mean, I could talk for an hour about suffering and the things that it produces within you, Mm -hmm. um, an unshakable belief in Mm -hmm. the goodness of God. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite verses in Romans, and it talks about that, like suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and a hope which cannot be put to shame. Mm -hmm. And I always feel as though I would comparing my story to yours. My suffering is very minimal, but I feel like we all have our own stories to carry and our own our own things that we've walked through. And I don't think that I think when we start comparing them to each other is when that's not a good thing. Um, but I look back even on times of my life and I'm like, man, that was the, that was the hardest year of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but because of that year, I know, like, I don't know why I'm crying because Mm -hmm. (laughs) just talking to you about walking through this, but I look back on that year of suffering for me and I think, man, God, I know you better Mm -hmm. uh, because of that. Um, and I know parts of your character that I wouldn't have known this well had I not walked through that. And so I can say I'm almost kind of thankful for that. And I'm not putting words in your mouth at all, but that's my experience. Well, I call it the best worst years of my life mm. because it, it really was. I love that verse in Job where he said, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. Mm. And that's how I feel. I mean, I feel privileged in some ways that I've walked through so much because the relationship that came from that, um, like I said, it's unshakable. It's mm. unshakable. It's it's just, I mean, it's, I think also that's hard to understand unless you've actually maybe walked through something, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm selling people short as to understanding that or not. Yeah, I think there's definitely a variety of ways, but suffering will push you towards it a little bit more quickly mm. on the fast track. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Did you, you say you listened to the show. Did you hear Catherine Wolf when she was on? I did. And I related to so many things where she was talking about her stroke. I was like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And even when she talked about suffering. Yes. I mean, the way that she talks about suffering, she talks about in a way that she's grateful for it and Mm. the, what God's done in her life because of the suffering that she's been through. She experienced a stroke. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to that as well. Well, nobody wants to pray and ask God, will you give me suffering so I can know you better? Mm. (laughs) You know, we'd be crazy if we prayed that prayer. Right. I think especially like the, um, not to go, we, we won't go too far here, but especially Christians in North America. 
Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a blessing and prosperity yes. that we believe we should have. And, and I believed that most of my life. Mm-hmm. That's why when I first started suffering, I was like, but God, I've served you and, right. and goodness is supposed to come and mercy and, and all of those things do come. But it doesn't mean that that we don't have to suffer mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I don't know where we got that idea because it's all throughout scripture. For sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a lie. It, once we start to believing that um I do all the right things. God's going to bless me and surely I won't suffer. That is a lie and a trap. And what happens then, I think, Sarah, you can let me know what you think about this. I think that when we're believing that lie and then suffering comes, which suffering will come to, I mean, just hold on if you haven't walked through it. Mm-hmm. I think then if you're believing that God is not going to bring, is not going to allow, or there's not going to be suffering. And then when you get in the midst of it, it's when you start to go, whoa, like, has God left me? Yeah. Or, um, am I a bad person? Like, you know what I mean? Your, your, your faith gets shaken um, when you start to believe that God will not um, allow his people to walk through suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, so many people think that the goodness of God is based on circumstance. Mm. And when we equate his goodness to circumstance, we are going to be shaken and yeah. we are going to be let down as soon as we start suffering, you know, that's but so true. But if we realize that His goodness, He is good. That is who He is. That's His character. That's mm-hmm. His nature. And circumstances don't change or dictate that. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important truth to know and to understand. It's so good. It's like in the, when Jesus talks about like building your house on the rock. I always think about that because it's like, okay, I want to know these foundational truths and I want to believe them because He says the storms will come. Yes. And the storms come no matter where you built your house. Yes. Whether you build it on the sand, that's not truth, or you build it on the truth, the rock of Jesus, the storms will come. And so I just think like, man, it doesn't, like, I love what you just said. It's a part of his character. Hey guys, we'll get right back with my conversation with Sarah, but I want to thank another one of our sponsors, uh, Pine Cove Camps. I want to tell you about the cool opportunity that they have right now. We've talked about Pine Cove on here before. The Ivies, we send our kids to Pine Cove Camps. We love everything they're doing. They have amazing summer camps for kids in second grade through 12th grade. And they even have week-long summer camps for whole families. But this is what I want to tell you about right now. Coming up in December, Pine Cove hosts a super cool weekend called Winterfest. Winterfest is for kids in first through 12th grades. And they come to camp for all the fun of summer camp packed into one weekend. It's like summer camp, but it's only cooler as in cooler because it's December or maybe it's cooler because it's more awesome. I don't know. The dates this year are December 16th through 18th. And this is a great opportunity for your kids to either be introduced to overnight camp. This is a great way to kind of move them into staying overnight or to come back, be reunited with all the fun they had this summer. It's also, Mama, a great chance for you to get some of that last minute shopping in or attend that Christmas party without getting a babysitter. For more information, go to pinecove.com slash winterfest. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with Sarah. Okay, so rehab, you have his first birthday party there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the last time you three were together. Yeah, that was the last time that we were together as a family because he had a, another stroke the next day and he was transferred back to ICU. And from that point, he had another stroke and he passed away. So two more strokes happened um, mm-hmm. after Milo's first birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that they had prepared you for could happen or was once again, this totally out of the blue? Total shock. I mean, I thought once the first stroke was done and he had survived that, I thought that, that, that was the end of that. So it was a complete and total shock. So where were you when that second, when the stroke happened the next day? 
The next day, it was a Saturday. So thankfully, I was able to get up there earlier than I typically would on a work day. So when I got there, he was resting and just napping. And so I, I sat there and read a magazine for a while to let him rest. And then after an hour, he woke up and he was super disoriented. And so I started asking him questions like I'd seen the nurses do in the past. What's your birthday? Who's the president? You know, things like that. And he was totally disoriented. So I ran down the hall screaming to get a nurse and a doctor. I said, something's wrong. I think he's had another stroke. Mm. And so that would have been the third stroke? That was the second that one. That was the second. Yeah. The and then next he had morning. The third. I see the next morning he, you're asking him these questions and then he, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so then what was the, what did they need to do after he had another stroke? Well, they, they took him to the hospital in the ICU. At that point they were, you know, asking me, what do we want to do for his life? Do you even, you know, sometimes the most ethical thing to do is just to let him pass away. And I unloaded on a nurse when she told me that. Mm. I said, um, absolutely not. We are fighting until the very end because that was his wishes. And that's what we're going to do. Mm. And so I said, use every measure you have to save his life. And they said, okay. And so what did that look like? So they put him in the ICU and they did something um, It's where they put these things on his legs and on his arm to try to cool his body temperature down. Okay. It's like they, I don't want to say freeze, but it's kind of the same process. I mean, they lower his body temperature by a lot in order to try to keep his body and brain from swelling. Okay. And so they did that for a few days, and right before he was about to come off of all those machines, that's when he had the last stroke. Mm. And then tell me about what, when was the last time that you saw him, and what was that like? Well, after he had the third stroke, they um, declared him legally brain dead. Um, they have a series of tests that they do mm. to declare that, and so I was forced um, legally, I had to turn off the ventilator um, that was breathing life into his body. So the the last day I saw him um, was when we had that that ventilator turned off, and I sat there and I, you know, I knew at that point that we were so far beyond um, hope, but I just knew that God could still heal him if He wanted to. And so until the very end. I was going to fight for him. So I sat on his bedside and I begged God to spare his life. And um, I felt a tangible shift in the room. I don't know if you've ever been in a room when someone's died, but in my experience, I mean, I could feel the shift in the room when his spirit was gone and the shell that was there. I was like, that's not even my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it felt so different, the shift in the room. Were you in there by yourself? I was in there with my parents and two girlfriends um, that had been there with me throughout the whole process. And they left the room and gave me some time alone with him. Mm. And what was that? Did you feel as though I need to say goodbye? What does that feel like when you're sitting there with the man that you love that is a dad to your kids? You know, I had been, I think I was in shock at that point because I had been fighting and believing for so long and we're talking years. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a six week intensity in the battle, but the battle was a three year long process. And so we'd been fighting so hard and then just in an instant, it's over. And in an instant, everything about my life has changed. And in an instant, my son lost his father. In an instant, I lost my best friend and every plan that we had made together. And so I, I think my brain could not comprehend in that moment 
the true um, indications of, of what was happening in my loss. So, I mean, I sat there, I wept, I told him I loved him, I told him I was proud of him, um, and that I would see him again one day and left the room. Mm, Sarah, I just... I mean, I read this last night, but I'm like, feel like listening to you. I just cannot even imagine um, what that feels like. And at the same time, I can totally hear like the peace of God that is in your voice when you talk about it um, and the way that it felt like that God was just he was your rock in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how people go through loss without a faith and a hope because I had that hope that I would see him again. Mm -hmm. And, and we say that a lot in the Christian culture, but it becomes extremely real when it's you and when it's your best friend and the love of your life. And you think, okay, this hurts so bad, but the hope that I cling to, the shred of hope is that I will see you again and all wrong things will be made right. And Mm -hmm. until that day, um, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to run my race until I get to see you again. And it's truth. I mean, that's the reality of what it is. So that day your husband passes away and you are now, um, widow, mm-hmm. mom to one, mm-hmm. um, alone without your, your, your helper and your best friend mm-hmm. um, and your lover and all of these things, all of a sudden it's gone. Um, it's been three years. Mm-hmm. And a lot has happened in three years. <laughs> We're like 45 minutes into this show and we have, we could chat for another 45 minutes on what has happened for the next three years. Yeah. Um, but before we get to what's happened in the next three years, and we will just briefly cover that because we've been chatting for so long and it's so good. Um, but I mean, what is that? How do you even describe to someone what these three years have been like of all of a sudden here I am, I was married and now my husband's gone. And I'm, I mean, how old were you? 33? I was 31. 31. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was the, it's been the hardest three years of my life. Um, again, I would say in some ways it's been the best three years of my life um, be, just because of the ways that God has shown himself completely faithful to our family. And um, it's by his grace, literally, that I'm still here. You know, he has walked so closely beside me. Um, but it still is something that we're learning to live with. You know, we just celebrate, or I don't want to say celebrated the three-year anniversary, mm-hmm. but we we just commemorated his the third-year um, anniversary of his passing, and it was still hard. It's it's it never. I I always say you can't move on, but you can move forward. It's mm-hmm. never something that you that you're over or that you get past. And people think, oh, well, it's been a long time, so so you must miss them less. It's like if you don't see your kids in one week versus a month, do you miss them less? No, right. you miss them more. Mm -hmm. So we miss him more. And and that aspect of it, it definitely gets harder. What are some of your favorite things that remind you of him, like around your house or day-to-day life? Well, my son is a mini-me version of my husband. Uh And so he is constantly doing things that I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) And he always laughs because, I mean, he stands like him. He, Uh you know, they have so many weird little quirks that are the same. But that is such a gift because, I mean, I see my husband. Oh, that's so fun. Um, So you have a daughter as well, which we haven't yes. even mentioned. Yes. Um, one of the coolest things, if, you, if you're listening, you remember way back in the conversation, you guys talked about how you froze. Um, now, you're going to have to clarify this for me because I don't know if you froze embryos or you just had his sperm still frozen. 
Well, we had that too, but we had four embryos and I implanted two. So I had two, two remaining left embryos left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did you, did, when did the thought come? Okay. We have these two embryos. Okay. I'm going to use them. Well, we had had, there's two parts to that. I had had a dream once when I was pregnant with my son about holding this little baby girl and her name was Ellis. And when I woke up, I looked up the meaning of her name and the name meant Jehovah is God. And that's exactly what my husband's name meant too. And I had mm. never heard of this name, Ellis. I'm not a Grey's Anatomy fan. I hear that there's an Ellis on that. Oh, show. I don't even know. <laughs> but I'd never heard of the name before. And when I found out I was pregnant with a boy, we just kind of tucked that name away and thought, well, one day if we have a girl, that'll be her name. Well, when my husband was in rehab one day, I was rubbing his back and he all of a sudden had this moment where he was so lucid and he said, honey, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what? And he said, you and I are going to have another baby and it's going to be a girl and you know what to name her. You need to name her Ellis. And I just looked at him and he's in rehab and he's paralyzed. And I'm like thinking in my mind, there's no way we'll have another baby. Right. And I, so I just kind of said, okay, honey. Okay. And he (laughs) said, no, you need to listen to me. I'm really serious. We are going to have another baby and it's going to be a girl. And I said, okay. And so right after he died, I mean, almost immediately I recalled that conversation and all of a sudden it took on a whole new meaning for me. Mm. And so how long after he died, did you like think, or not, because you immediately said you had thought about it, but when did you actually entertain the idea of, okay, this is how it's going to go down. I'm going to do this, actually. Well, I had a conversation the night of the funeral with his four best friends. They all live all over the United States, and they were all there. And I thought, okay, this is the only time I'll have everyone in one space. And I, and I keep thinking about this conversation. I just need to talk to them and get some clarity. And I was worried that they would be like, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. No, you can do that. Right. They weren't. Every single one of them was like, you know, you have to do this, right? Like, this is totally meant to happen. And so from that point on, I just... It took a lot of prayer and a lot of thought and a lot of consideration, but I finally decided, okay, I'll have them implanted and put the results in God's hands. Because knowing good and well that neither one of them could take. Yeah, I thought, you know. I mean, know, that's the risk, right? And that's what I prayed. I mean, it's about a 30% chance that you'll get pregnant on embryos that have been frozen and unthawed. So I thought, you know, the odds are really low mm-hmm. and it's really going to take a miracle, you know, for me to get pregnant. And if this is meant to be, I'm just putting the results in, in God's hands. And, and so first time there you are pregnant. Lo and behold, pregnant with a girl. Oh, <laughs> just like you said. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So... You walked through this pregnancy alone. I mean, I know you had your family in support, um, but did you, did you, what did you imagine emotionally that would be like? And then what was it really emotionally like doing that alone without Joelle? I think I had prepared myself for it to be hard. You know, I knew it would be a, a lot different of an experience, but I remember showing up that first day for the doctor's appointment and seeing all the husbands with their wives in the waiting room. And that's the same waiting room he and I had been in just like a year and a half prior. And um, there was that first moment where I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm strong Mm -hmm. enough to do this. And it was literally just relying on God every single time. You know, a lot of times my girlfriends would come with me and that that was a good appointment because I had some support, but Mm -hmm. there were lots that I had to do alone. And those were always, they were hard. Mm. And then you have your sweet baby girl, Ellis. Yes, yes. And she's 21 months old now. Yes. And you're just mama to two, writing books, doing your thing. 
Yeah, <laughs> trying to balance it all. Trying to can. balance it all. Single, par <laughs> single parenting. Yeah. It's no I mean, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> yes, I know, right? Oh, single parenting. You guys are just amazing. I've had another, a few other single parents on the show, um, and some of them by um, death of a husband. I've had uh, Bailey Hurd was on here. She lost her husband um, as well. Um, and then my friend Alicia and just so many different uh, perspectives, but I think it's good to shine light on single parenting as well, especially in the church, because some people can think, oh, well, you, you, this is not the best scenario for your kids or whatever. And again, this was not your decision. Um, and I'm sure you never imagined there'd be a day when you were single parenting two kids. No. And, you know, within the church, they talk a lot about the nuclear family and this is how God designed it. And, you know, I wish there was a little bit more awareness that everybody's situation isn't the same. And I never dreamt that this would be my situation. And I know that there's statistics and all that, but I really believe that God is way bigger than any statistic, you know. And when you look at the lineage of Jesus, I mean, he came from a lot of people that were broken and messed mm -hmm. up circumstances, but the story of him was just one of redemption. And mm -hmm. I believe that God is able to redeem our stories. Completely. And, you know, I know it would have been how we planned it. And my mind would have been perfect for my husband to be here with us, but that's not what we have. And yeah. so, so where I am now is I'm just believing that, that God will, will take it and he'll use it and, and that our story will be triumphant. And it is because he's the center of that story. Yeah. Um, when you sit down with um, Milo and Ellis and you talk to them about their daddy, what do you say? You know, I got the greatest advice from a widow one time. She said, talk about your husband so much that your kids could imagine him coming through the door at any time. And mm -hmm. I thought that was such wise advice because... Um, we never wanted him to be a taboo subject in my home. I never want my kids to feel like they can't talk about him. You know, we have photos all over the house. And whenever my kids in particular do something that remind me of him, I try to point it out to them so they can mm -hmm. feel that connection to where they came from. Yeah. And so, you know, they're little and I try to tell them about how much their daddy loved them and what a hero he was and how much he misses him. And, you know, it's hard because we have to have conversations with my son at four that I never thought we would mm -hmm. have to have about death and healing and dying and heaven. And it gets deep and it's, and it's hard, mm -hmm. but I think in the end it will make him a better version of himself to know and understand these things from such a young age. Yeah. And, and we would be like foolish to think that God's not going to use this entire story, even for your kids' lives. Absolutely. I yeah. believe that completely. Yeah. He has something big in store for them. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, Sarah, man, thank you, thank you, thank you thank for sharing you. your story. Okay, now I need to know. We're going to move on. Okay. What are you reading? Okay. Because I was um, reading your book last night in bed. <laughs> so what were you reading in bed last night? Well, I've got two different ones. One is A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Aken and C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, I haven't. But it is about his path to faith, and then he loses his wife. And so he goes on this whole journey of reconciling his faith with loss. And C.S. Lewis was going through the same exact thing. So they're, sh- they're swapping letters and swapping stories and, and kind of just trying to get, the bo- get to the bottom of where they land on this whole faith thing in the midst of extreme suffering. So okay, that sounds amazing. It is incredible. I read it like one chapter at a time and then I just have to rest for a while because it's just, oh, it's just so much, but That's I a love lot. I love it. Speaking of C.S. Lewis, I have these books and I don't know what they're called, but it's like some, it's kids books. And we have one about C.S. Lewis and it's about his life. And my son Caden picked it up and he's like, is this the guy that wrote Chronicles of Narnia? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it is. And then he flipped over the back and he saw that he died in like, I don't know, 1963 or something. I could, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll make that up, whatever. But he died. <laughs> and then Caden, he's 12. He was like, so he never saw the movies? And I was like, no, he never saw oh. the movies. But he was just so concerned that C.S. Lewis never got to see the movies of his um, books. But anyhow. Okay. So that sounds amazing, that book. Yeah, it's a great one. And then the other is called Wild Things by Stephen James and David Thomas, and it's understanding the heart and mind of a boy. And I feel like, you know, my husband isn't here to help me Mm -hmm. with my son. And so I've really started to be really intentional. I think one through three, there's kind of some grace to just love on them, keep them fed, keep them uh-huh. <laughs> keep everybody alive. Yeah. But at age four, you have to really start to kind of dig in. And so this book is about understanding the heart and mind of a boy. And it's mm-hmm. been amazing so far. It looks really, the cover's really cute too, with the two little boys and their superhero yes! caves fighting. Yes. And several of my friends have read it and they recommended it and I've loved it. So I highly recommend it. If you're a mom of boys, Especially if you're a single mom. Yeah. It's, yeah, looking for ways to kind of get in there with things that would typical would be done for the dad. Okay. So that's great. I love yeah. it. Anything yeah. else or those two? Just those two for now. Okay. All right. But there's a huge stack always constantly. I always have a huge <laughs> stack too. It's I like know. crazy. Yeah. Where do you read mostly? In my room. Okay. Uh, at night or early, early in the morning, just yeah. whenever I can squeeze it in. It's a lot harder than it used to be, but I do it when I can. You I love the babies. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So what are three things you're loving? Okay. So I am loving that we are a couple weeks away from fall mm. because I love sweaters and I love the state fair. Yeah, I've never, you know, I've never been, well, you're in Oklahoma, but are you talking about the Oklahoma state fair? I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, we have one here in Texas, obviously. Yes. Um, I've never been. Oh my goodness, girl. You have to go. If, if just for the food alone, I mean, it is quite the experience. Where everything And the fried. people watching, the people watching for yes. that. <laughs> yes. But we, we love it. And then the last thing is college football because, I mean, around here, that's all we're talking about in August and September I'm and sure. on. <laughs> so I love it. I do love college football so much. There's something about it that's just different than the NFL. Because it's, I, I like it. Well, my I have all kinds of feelings on it these days, but I like it too because 
it's just a little bit more like these are like young men, you know, they don't have all the pressures, which is not true these days. They have a lot of pressures on them, but you know what I mean? They're not getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, seems yeah. kind of pure and innocent. Oh, as innocent Although it's probably not, candy. but yes. Yeah. It seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> Although these days with college football, it's kind of scary sometimes about it, but yeah. I mean the pure and innocent because sometimes whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to go into college football scandals. But anyhow. Um, yeah. Okay. Sweaters. Can I confess? I hate sweaters. What? Do you like cardigans? Yes. See, a cardigan is a light sweater. So technically. Yes. You like light sweaters. <laughs> sweaters. I think they make me feel confined. Yeah. I can see that. And so I'm more of like a, a layer kind of person and I'm worried I'm going to get hot. And then what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I like hoodies too, but I'm trying to oh, me too. par that down. I'm like, what is the age cut off? <laughs> no, I'm 38, and I in the fall I wear a hoodie and a t-shirt every day. Yes, me too. I love, I love, love, love them. Me too, me too. Um, okay, so was that your three things? College football. That was my one thing. Okay, okay, good, good. College football sweaters and fall. One thing. Yeah. Okay, what's number two? Yeah. Okay, so I found this YouTube channel, and it. It's called Fitness Blender, and they have over 700 free workout videos. Okay, and say the name again. Fitness Blender. Okay. And I've used working out a lot in my process of grief, mm-hmm. you know, just to get some stress out. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan at heart, really, of working out, but to get the endorphins going and the stress relief and to sweat, it just is kind of an outlet of a place to go. Um, so that's something that I've started okay, doing. Fitness Blender. Love yeah. it. And and they do it against a white background, and they don't have any music playing, so I can use my own playlist. That's which, the best. Yeah, which may or may not have some Bieber on it. See, of um, course. <laughs> <laughs> he's good for working out, too. Yes. So I love that. Okay, what's your third thing? Okay, the last thing is chai tea. Oh. I, I don't drink coffee. So when I meet my girls at Starbucks, I'll get a chai tea. And I've always gotten it hot. And this summer, I wasn't drinking them because I thought it's too hot for a chai tea. But my mom said you could get it iced. And I got it iced. And I'm embarrassed to say how life-changing this has been for me. Because now I can have a chai tea in the winter months and the summer months. It's the best thing that's happened to you. I know. And I literally have told three people this week, I'm like, guys, did you know you can get a chai tea (laughs) iced? And they're like... Yeah, you goofball. We uh, did that. Hello. We always do this. <laughs> I'm like, this is rocking my world, you guys. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you know, I've never had thing. a chai tea. Oh, my goodness, Jamie. I know. It's the best. I it's was on so a good. girl's trip this week, and I think one of the girls, that's what she got every time we stopped for coffee. And I should have asked to try it, but I've never had one. I love chai teas. I'm not a coffee drinker whatsoever, but I will down me some chai tea. Mm, I do love me some coffee. So <laughs> I wish I did because it could help keep me awake with all the running around. I yeah, do. Yeah. Mine's more like habitual. Like I just love the the act of getting up in the morning and drink, which I know you could do that with tea. So yeah, whatever, but that's yeah. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Sarah, I love your three things. I love what you're reading. And, um, I'm so grateful that you came on to share your story with us. And so I'm going to put all the links up and your book from death through rise. I'm going to put a link up to that as well, because there's more to your story too. Like you delivered your daughter and then she got really, really sick. I mean, you just, there's more to the story. So we just touched the surface of it today, but man, I just want to thank you for sharing, um, the hope that you have, um, in the midst of these um, circumstances and trials and sufferings. And I remember a couple of years ago, I read two books in the same year about moms who had lost kids. Mm. And one of the books, um, 
there was zero hope. I mm. mean, her life was over. She was devastated. She was miserable for the for the years since. Yeah. And the other one, um, it was a terrible, terrible story, just the same. But she had a hope that wasn't shaken. And that hope came through in the book. And that's what you're doing as well through your book and through your words. And so thank you for allowing um, the, the life circumstances you've been through and the suffering that you've walked through um, to actually be a minister for the gospel. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for the way you champion women and you give everyone a platform to share their stories. And it's a really powerful thing. Mm. So thank you. You're welcome. I love showing what other people are doing. I just want to cheer. I want to be a cheerleader for everybody. Well, you do it well. Well, thanks. So I'm going to cheer you on until I'm going to go get your book. So that's what I'm going to do for you. Thanks, girl. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jamie. Guys, I knew that you would love it. I hope you had your tissues. I loved chatting with Sarah and I'm just so proud of her for getting her story out there and talking about it and being bold in her faith and bold in where God has taken her. And the funny thing about this is there's so much more to her story that we never even touched the surface on uh, with her baby girl. And so I encourage you to get her book and she talks about it there. Um, But it was so fun to chat with her. Today's show is edited by Logan Garza. The music is from Jason Poe. Next week, my guest is Allie Worthington, and it was so much fun to talk with her. She's a full-time working woman, plus mama to five boys. She's the executive director of Propel Women, and her newest book out is called Breaking Busy, which, oh my gosh, don't we all want that? So tune in next week for my guest, Allie. Okay, guys, enjoy your week. Happy November. I hope it's fall where you live. Um, Share this show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I will see you guys next week. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.